Learning scripture, knowing Christ. Welcome to the Hashtag One Fear podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hashtag One Fear podcast. And today we got the trio again to bring you part five of our series on spiritual abuse and church hurt. Uh, So today's episode is entitled The Bully Pulpit, The Gaslight Burns Bright. So we're going to talk about two big things. And one of them is obviously the bully pulpit. Uh, and another one about gaslighting and what that really is and how it can happen in the pulpit uh, as we present the Word of God. Uh, but since this is part five, I want to recap real quick, one through four. You ready? Well, I'm going to try this in one breath. Part one was define and recognize spiritual abuse in church. Or part two was the profile of the inflictions that people would have on them or that they do give. And part three was the culture of a hurtful church in which the culture was... I don't want to breathe in. You're slurring your words. I... <laughs> oh, great. Now I have to breathe in. Okay, I got to do it in two. Part three was the culture of a hurtful church in which the culture... Uh, ended up having more precedence than the kingdom of God. And uh, and number four, last week's was real unity and real healing, in which we find uh, real healing inside of real unity. Uh, so we looked at what those things were. So some spiritual abuse that can, in, uh, can include this stuff, and this is an, also in recap of the last four episodes, silencing. The authority figure enforces someone uh, or forces someone into silence, either due to gender, uh, difference of opinion, or simply over hierarchy. You know, they're the pastor, they're the elder, whoever they are. Uh, So if you have to listen to what they say, and if you don't listen, then we can't talk about that. You can't talk about it. Don't do anything. Uh, Silence is a go-to when the leader feels threatened that someone might look better or has a sense of shame. All right. So usually when there's silencing in the church, it's because oh, they might look better or it's, you know what, I did wrong and I feel really bad and we can't let this out. We can't let people know about my pet sins or anything like that. All right. And the second one is moralizing. When a code of conduct or moral expectation is elevated about uh, above trusting relationship, the leader has the wherewithal to achieve these goals because they often circumnavigate the accountability that goes hand in hand with the expectations. So in other words, we got to put this facade on. We got to put, put our acting on. We got to make it look like we are doing the right thing all the time. Uh, so if the leader is trying to achieve these different goals that they had said or promised that they would do, you know, it's the church uh, it's the agenda, it's the culture we have to maintain, whatever it might be, uh, these goals are, you know, that's what is moral. If we have to choose, we have to achieve those things. And if we don't, then obviously we're failing morally. So therefore we are sinful people. Uh, the third one is certainty. The leader or group or culture is the one that has the inarguable knowledge and expression of valid scriptural and godly conduct, and no other denomination or church can match it. Questioning this is a failure to comply and conform, and so ostracism is inevitable. All right, so you, there's this certainty that the leader has, like everybody knows, like you just ha- got to do this, you got to do that. Uh, it, 
they know for a fact that because of the position that they're in, uh, because they're so godly, because they're a pastor, they're godly, uh, that you have to listen to them and do what they say. And if not, if you're not going to comply, if you're not going to conform, then you're going to be ousted. Okay. Uh, the fourth one, experimentalism. The leader's experiences are inarguable, and also the proof to which, and the proof to which grants them the authority. You might hear someone say, God said, or I've been anointed for this. <laughs> Perhaps if brought under question, even more curiously, uh, uh, even from curiosity, uh, one might hear, touch not the Lord's anointed. And the last one, unquestioned hierarchy. Any under this leadership are made small and helpless, insignificant or inexperienced, unenlightened. The level of authority is maintained not by being built high, but to tear others down to give this illusion this leader is high. So the unquestioned authority is all about, you know, especially if you don't know anything about them, if they don't let things out to be honest about who they are and what they're about, uh, where their struggles are, where their strengths are. It could very, very easily just be, well, without, without me guys, you're nothing, you know, you need me. And in fact, you can't handle this. So you have to rely on me. All right. So that was a quick summary of a lot of stuff that we talked about in the past four episodes. And uh, with that, we want to get into the bully pulpit and gaslighting. And I think actually gaslighting is first. We want to give a definition to that. So with all that said, here we go. All right, so let's continue with the body of the episode and talk about gaslighting. And to start about gaslighting, we want to give a definition. So here's one that I found from Abramson in 2014, page two. The gaslighter tries consciously or not to induce in someone the sense that her reaction, perceptions, memories, and beliefs are not just mistaken, but utterly without grounds, paradigmatically so un- unfounded as to qualify as crazy. All right. Yeah, you have one too? I'm going to go, um, it, because the definition kind of goes along with this, but this is more like um, what those things can look like. Yeah. So lying to you, discrediting you, distracting you, minimizing your thoughts and feelings, shift, shifting blame, denying wrongdoing, using compassionate words as weapons, and rewriting history. Yeah. I think shifting blame and rewriting history is the biggest parts to it too. Yeah. Uh, because all of those, like, yeah, that can happen without gaslighting. I think yeah. some of those, uh, but yeah. the main thing is, is like you end up thinking you're crazy, yeah. uh, for, for the two of us for a long time. I, I, I want to say even months, not just weeks. I think it was months where we were like thinking over and over again, like, what did we do wrong? What was, what did I do? What did I say? Yeah. And it came to the point where it was like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. We didn't say this. You know, we didn't do that. You know, and it was like, 
Yeah. It was like a, a bit of a revelation. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we understood more of the character of these uh, church leaders that we didn't see earlier. And as it came out, it was like, oh, well, we know who we can trust and who we cannot trust. Yeah. You know, and, you know, fast forward a little while later. Hey, I have trust issues. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for, um, kind of, so the first uh, experience, I guess, that I'm going to share kind of goes under um, not taking, what was it? Denying wrongdoing. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, a bit of a in-your-face example, too. Yeah. Like, very blatantly obvious. Yeah. Well, and from, so I'll preface it with this, from the beginning, with all of the people involved, um, there was a minimizing of our feelings and experiences, and there was a denying of wrongdoing, because the thing that kept getting told to us is, you are reacting because of your past hurt. Mm -hmm. So we could look them in the face and we could say, we're coming to you because you either said or did X, Y, Z, and we want to talk about it. Yeah. And their response was, no, no, you're reacting out of your past hurt and you yeah. need to go get help for it. And one of the other things was, well, as the, as the pastor, as the church leadership, they, don't they have certain choices? Don't they have the right? Uh, don't to they do have the right things. to do certain yeah. things? Yeah. And, so, uh, no, no, that so, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so going into this, like that is one of the, I would say probably one of the biggest blockers that we have because if they're automatically putting up that wall of yeah. saying that they didn't do anything, in that what we're saying happened, that didn't actually happen yeah. because this it happened was, in the past. It was as if they were taking the route of Pontius pilot just kind of washing i'm hands. just washing yeah. my hands yeah even though i could stop this yeah. i'm gonna wash my hands yeah uh but i i don't want to keep on bringing up the same thing so yeah. it, and I, do you remember if we told this story or not in one of the episodes i can't um, remember i mean we might but, have, yeah but we'll, we'll just it's gonna be we'll, quick yeah i just wanted to because that really is it what kind of it, like it's like the prequel to the, yeah. the pulpit yeah the conversation yeah so um the first one was a quick one where i had sat and i talked to a a specific person about all of the things that were upsetting us um, that you wouldn't at the time that you had said, I don't want to talk about this right now. Um, so this person was like, well, will you? And I said, sure, I guess. So, but then we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. And at the end of that meeting, when I had said, can the kids still come to this special event that was being planned for um, all, of the, all of the kids yeah. of this group? This person looked at me and, and said, well, you'd have to ask this other person. I don't know if they'd want your kids there with all of this, which was also crap. But um, then looked at me and said, well, Dom said that he won't, doesn't want to talk to any of the leadership. And so I don't know if he'd want his kids around this group. And I looked person in the face and said he never said those words he said he doesn't want to talk about <laughs> this particular thing with the leadership right yeah. now because he's angry and he wants to process it and what's funny about that is that this person was like hey will you talk to me about it and it was like okay you you go ahead and talk about it but why was it okay for you to open up but not be okay for the kids to be around this group yeah. Like it was, it's a bit of a 
double standard, I it's guess. It's pettiness. It's, it's is petty what it is. Too. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense that we're in one spot. My wife is okay to open up, AKA like, give me as much dirt as you can versus, well, would he want the kids yeah. to be around this group? Yeah. Like to me, that's one in the same. Yeah. So if you're going to pick one or well, the other, you got to pick both. And at that point it felt almost, um, almost as if the person was, pitting in a way that might not be the right word to use but well, they're the trying words, to be really nice well no like <laughs> the words that were used about you toward me were almost a way of making me see this error this badness this in you that yeah. they're seeing well would he even want his kids to be around this group and if we and i i honestly wonder if we weren't who we are madly in love with each other would they have pity pit each other against uh, each of us against yeah. each other? Yeah, you know, like what kind of uh, that's the kind of stuff that spiritual abuse will yeah. do. It yeah. will pit husbands and wives against each other. I think the other, and families. I think the other part of that whole situation, though, that I, I don't know if we brought this up before, that in hindsight bothered me, was that at that point I was just kind of hands in the air. I was frustrated, so yeah. that's why I had said sure. But I look back and I think this person claimed to be a spiritual leader and friend, and they should have respected you saying, we are not talking about this until we are ready, because I straight up told them he's upset. He doesn't want to speak in anger. He wants to work it out. And they did everything they could to try to get the information so going behind you to the wife, where yes, I, I should have put my foot down and said, no, we said we're not going to talk about this. But that person also crossed a line yeah. by even trying. Yeah. So after that conversation, that brings us into the, the bully pulpit. And uh, the second part of that story uh, happens the following Sunday in which the pastor gives this message. And uh, because you have a better memory than me, do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, this meeting I had with this person was on a Thursday. And um, the there were, I don't, there were a couple different sermons that happen in a day. And that's why I'm wondering, like, I don't know. I didn't listen to the other ones to see if this was something that was said in all of them. Yeah. But the one we sat in. Yeah, I never did either. Yeah. The one we sat curious. in, I, I laughed out loud <laughs> yeah. because... The pastor says, normally I finish my sermons on Thursday, but this week I finished it on Friday and then went on. I don't even know. I don't even know what like the sermon actually was because it, it went into this whole tirade about everything that I had talked about in this meeting. And this is no joke. I can't make it up, which is why I laughed because I was like, this isn't even like an ironic type of thing like where, oh, hey, we talked about the same topic this week. This was this pastor's responding to everything that I had brought up in private. Yeah. And it, it didn't sound like what you said. It sounded like the person that you talked to, which that to me is a little frightening. Yeah. 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 Um, so let's, let's skip this part. We'll come back to that one. Okay. And let's just talk about the bully pulpit because that's exactly what, yeah. what that is. Yeah. That that's like, you know, you got this, position you have this place of authority whether it's religious or you know in the workforce or something like that and you send out this message 
that says verbatim things that are in a private conversation and then uses scripture about why this is right and why this is wrong and how all this other stuff needs to needs to be. And one of the things said is, come to me because I have the truth. I know what happened. I know what is happening. So come to me. And I don't think that was to mean that they meant they have the capital T truth. I think it was they, what they meant was that you, we need to regulate this information. So in order for the truth that they want to have known, they will give their version of it, which is not actual truth. It is half truth or just, yeah. let's just say what it is. It's false. It's a lie. It's a... And from the pulpit. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason that it, it definitely was not the capital T truth was the way that this person had led up to what they were talking about right. was very much a response to yeah. specific things I had yeah. um, spoken about that hurt me or that had upset me. And then this person went on to to talk about how they can't do all of these things alone. I mean, it turned into this. It wasn't a sermon. I mean, the person was angry. I mean, like yeah. not not in like a you know flipping table, screaming at people, angry, but like the passion level. Oh yeah, oh, I'm, it's I'm hurt, you know that kind of thing. But here's the thing, though: Are we supposed to preach on the lowercase t's truths, or are we supposed to actually speak? the capital T truths from the pulpit. And that's my point here. Yeah. Like if you're going to go up there and you start saying all this kind of stuff to defend yourself, what kind of proclamation are you giving for the kingdom of God? You're not. Question. So is that when the bully pulpit could lead more into false teachings then? A absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it, like the way that it was said though, anybody could think, oh, well, then this this pastor has the capital T truth, so I have to trust the pastor in, in everything. And that is just not the, the reason or the purpose for a, a pulpit. All right, I, so the, wait, wait, go, okay, I'm go ahead. I'm going to insert that because there's the other aspect which we could bring in a previous not in this same situation experience of, of, the, of the pastor being... Um, the ultimate authority as in, well, if the pastor is saying this, then that has to be true. Like in a, pre yeah, like yep. in a previous experience when, when somebody came to us and said, well, they were told, well, if the pastor did this, then they must have done something horrible. But like no one had ever talked to us. No one ever actually talked to the, that pastor about a situation. Uh, so what you're talking about is when... Like if a pastor is taken from their position. Kind of. So like if they leave the church. When we were yeah. sent out of a church and we never got to say anything. Yeah. And so, but it just becomes, well, the person views the pastor so highly that there's no way that what they're saying yeah. could be wrong. So yeah. that's the other part that I see that and it, it they... must be that they had to leave the church yeah. because they were absolutely yeah. sinful. Yeah. They were not righteous enough. So the pastor yeah. is in such a place where, yes, you, you respect them. But if you see them in a place that if they say it, that somehow their version of not, not, I'm not talking about the gospel or biblical truth, but their version of whatever a situation might be is the only one that could be accurate because, well, they're my pastor. Yeah. Yeah. So the bully pulpit will look like this, okay? 
the preacher becomes a figurehead and image of the service and worst case scenario becoming the face of that entire church. Um, agendas are frequently inserted within the outline of the sermon, but are conveniently from God or an extra blessing that came suddenly from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'm actually guilty of doing that before, um, having like something come to me in the sermon and, and kind of just go with it. And I was like, yeah, it was, it was more like joking. Like, Hey, that wasn't in my notes. That's an, that's a, maybe it was just from God or something like that. Uh, but you know, I shouldn't have joked about it because messages should be coming from God. Yeah. You know, if you, if you're backing it up with scripture and scripture says, Hey, that's the truth. Tell it. You know, don't don't joke about it. Just just say the truth. <laughs> and that's almost always only used in like a Holy Spirit way. Yeah. Like where the Bible is from God. So hopefully whatever you're preaching, whether it's in a moment that you feel like God it spoke better to be you, from the spirit. <laughs> it better, yes. Like no matter what, that message better be coming from God. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, uh, scripture is also abused to bully others into obedience. And scripture is also misinterpreted to maintain facade of authority. All right. So this is this is where I want to talk about eisegesis and proof texting. Now, if you've been with our podcast for a while, you've probably come across these terms exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis is that we take the uh, we take scripture, look at the uh, the setting, the purpose, uh, who wrote it, who uh, to who did they write it to, and all this other stuff, and we and we glean from it we get the meaning out of the text, all right? uh, Exegesis, ex, uh, taking out of, and of the text. So you take it from the text. And what do you do when you take it out of the text? You put it into your life, all right? Now, eisegesis is doing this. You take something in your life and you want to justify it, so you put it into the text to make it say what you want it to say and mean what you want it to mean. So a big, big red flag for all you listeners out there, if you've ever heard someone say that scripture means something, you know, I've learned in my working on the masters in biblical studies that a lot of the professors are like, don't use the words this means. And it's like, well, what do you say? (laughs) You know, like, what am I supposed to write when I do my paper? Uh, But this is what, this is the go-to. I'm convinced you know, because I should not just follow blindly anybody that says, well, scripture means this, but it should be this uh, scripture states this. So therefore scripture should be the very thing. And the Holy Spirit's conviction is the very thing that con- uh, convinces, you, convinces you of the truth therein. All right. Now that's eisegesis, putting the, the meaning into the text. Proof texting is this, okay? You have an idea and you need support. <laughs> so you you get on your computer on Bible Gateway and you do search for keywords and you use those verses. All right, that's that's proof texting. And that's like, well, hey, I have this argument. I have this thing in the pulpit that I want to get my point across. And this is from God, all right? But really... You just had your own agenda and you needed something to back it up because it's actually not a really good idea to begin with. Or maybe it is, but you're just executing it really poorly. All right. So eisegesis and proof texting do not do that. All right. And in addition, if you do recognize that, bring it into question. 
get into scripture and talk about what is being preached. I, I Honestly, every single time that I've ever preached, my favorite thing has always been when people come and ask me questions. Hey, can you explain a little bit more of what you meant with by this? Or, hey, this verse also came up, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was something in my study Bible. What, what does this verse have to do in connection to that one? You know, all those kinds of things. I love that. And pastors, if you're listening, you should be loving that too. Because really, it's not that they're coming up against your authority. It's because they want to learn the word of God. They want to know the truth. So therefore, as a pastor... You should do that. Does that mean you like when I randomly text you about a Bible verse? I do. <laughs> I, I really do, yeah. especially okay. when like I'm but, falling asleep at work. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't. I there don't. should also be a humbleness there of, um, like sometimes you will get the people that are just angry about what you said. Like they didn't. They don't want to believe that the Bible says that. But you should also be in a humble state of if somebody says, "Hey, I think you might have." gotten something off or I'm not sure about it to be willing to look and then if maybe you actually yeah. did do something like I don't like the word wrong because like if it's if it's unintentional it's, it, yeah it's if it's incorrect <laughs> yeah then to be able to say you know what I'm gonna look into that and then and, and then even you don't even necessarily have to stand up and say it but it's more just that heart recognition of yeah there are people that are yeah and, allowed and if, to do that and if it is something that is really bad <laughs> like oh i was totally off on the character of jesus or something you know like that is something the next sunday i would be like hey you know what last week i said such and such a thing and i was absolutely wrong yeah and use that as a teaching moment from yeah. the pulpit to say hey you know what i'm human too i, I don't yeah. always get it that that means and i would i would applaud the congregation too that has the capacity to recognize those types of things yeah, because that's great. That's an awesome congregation that they know the word of God that well. Yeah. Well, and then, so this is actually a positive for our situation. Um, there was a sermon one time that it was, it was a good sermon, but there was like something that I, I was thinking, I don't, I feel like something's missing from a certain piece of it. And wanted some clarity. So when the pastor had come into the back area where I was, I did stop the pastor and just said, hey, when you talked about this, what about this aspect of that? And and the pastor um, clarified something. And, and then they did say, thank you for asking that. And it was good because yeah. it was like it was there, but it was just however I heard it or, or didn't see something. But and sometimes it can be scary. Like our current pastor has even said, like there are people sometimes that just fear asking whether it's the person themselves or the position. And for whatever reason, maybe they've had negative or they just were always taught yeah. you don't approach the well, authority. It's, it, yeah, it, it's exactly that. I think uh, if you want to put a percentage to it, I think 90% of it is they're the pastor. So we have to show respect and and show that they are the authority. And, uh, uh, whether or not it's a position of authority, we're <laughs> pastors are still human. You know, well, they they want to be talked to. They want to be. Yeah. They... Well, look in the in the New Testament. There's multiple times that people ask Jesus about. I mean, the disciples ask, "What are these parables?" You know, 
yeah. whatever it is. And it's for them. It's a clarifying yeah. thing. And they also ask, hey, who's going to be the greatest? Yeah. Is it me? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then no, Notice their bravery in asking the stupid question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So to continue the, the bully pulpit, uh, proclamations of hierarchical trust are inserted as friendly reminders for listeners to trust and depend on the preacher. And usually one of those things uh, are, that are pointed to when that's used is the giving of money. You know, and they might throw in some uh, some bold statements like, hey, I, I know what some of you make. <laughs> you know? um, so the, the next one, it is very rare that humility is shown. And if it is shown, it is in a manner that ignores greater human issues. So, for example, in the pulpit, you might have uh, you might hear the pastor say, I've been there. I've had I've had an eating disorder or I've had a problems with finances before and it was really a hard struggle but all the while they're completely ignoring their addiction to pornography or something or their how disrespectful and abusive they are to their to their wife or alcoholism you know uh or they might may also preach that it was it was so hard for me to serve on that missions field seeing so many lost um and in the meanwhile their family's falling apart you know, it's like, oh, the, the, the dramatics right there. It's like, I, I went on this mission field, and I bet you could picture it in your mind, too, as they tell the story of all these people that, you know, they're malnourished or they, their houses look like this and that. And be that as it may, back home, their lives are falling apart. You know, like they, they, they ignore the things that matter. Uh, Another example is back in the day when, or like any time in the past, I did this and I did that. And it's kind of like a boast like, yeah, I, you know, I started this ministry. How many uh, decades and how many generations have been a part of this church and all this other stuff? Um, but it's it's the same exact thing that's been going on and nothing else is being done. There's no more expansion out towards uh, just the local things yeah you know i think that could also go because when i first was reading that part i was thinking more of maybe in the past like look at the kind of person i used to be and how far i've come like as in like look oh, how no, much yeah, the holy no. spirit has sanctified yeah. no, me. no that's a, I, that's a testimony right there yeah. i think well it's a testimony until you get to the point where they they think that they've made it yeah. You know, like that's where I was thinking that was going. Like, look, look, look at all these things I used to do and I don't yeah. do them anymore, but they still actually have things that they're not willing to say are things yeah. that still need to be dealt with. Nobody, that's what I was thinking. Nobody's said to be a saint until they're dead. So <laughs> that's well, that's how you get sainthood is to be dead. Yeah. Good morning, saints. <laughs> uh, I miss that guy. I do too. Yeah, I follow him on Instagram. Anyway. Right. So uh, so what should the pulpit look like then? And we've kind of already hit on a couple things there. Uh, so exegesis, obviously, uh, since we already hit on that. Uh, the reason anyone should ever stand, quote unquote, in the pulpit is to tell solely of Jesus. Proclaim that gospel. Tell people of who he is and what he's done for all of humanity, for all of all time. All right. Too often we learn more about the preacher than Jesus, you know, and, and it's yeah. fine using different like illustrations from home life and 
all that kind of stuff. I've done that before. I'm not, I'm not bashing on it, but if we start knowing more about you at at some point than uh, about scripture or Christ, then. If what I took home that day was all of these wonderful family stories and I don't remember a thing of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, preaching is a conversation starter and should continue among the people long after Sunday morning service is concluded. How is this conversation continuing among the congregation? So, uh, you know, in my mind, I think like, all right, that's that's the picture of small groups. If you if you want to go down that route or, hey, what kind of friends are getting together to talk about different things that come up uh, in the in the sermon and stuff. And we've already talked about like, Hey, talk to your pastor as well. You know, ask, ask questions. Uh, one of my friends, Caleb, shout out to you again. He writes me letters and I love it. I, I was joking around with him one day. I was like, one of these days, uh, when we're long and long gone, our kids are going to find our letters and have them published. <laughs> it's, it, that'd be so awesome. But that's the kind of thing, you know, shoot an email out. You know, it doesn't have to be handwritten. Uh, like, like Caleb does, you know, you don't have, it's, it's it's fun, you know, um, uh, honestly, it's more intimate. So, uh, but shoot an email if you have to, that comes from the friendship. Yeah. It's the friend. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those kind of things bring up the conversation, you know, a dialogue with people. Uh, I, I honestly feel as though, people are too afraid to do that kind of thing because of the fear of arguments. You can respectfully disagree. Disagreeing. Yeah. And and especially nowadays, if anybody disagrees, you're going to get canceled. Well, well, (laughs) guess what? (laughs) They didn't love you anyway, then. (laughs) So if they, if they're so short on you to cancel you because you questioned, uh, the difference between wine and juice (laughs) for communion (laughs) or something like that, um, that it, it's just ridiculous. You know, there's, there are many scrupulous things and, uh, they could definitely be, uh, talked through. Uh, the, the point is, is that when these conversations happen about what's being, uh, taught in the pulpit is that relationships are being built, you know? And, and I think that's, that's mainly the big thing about small groups, right? Am I right? Like yeah. we want to build relationship That's your with each other. To really get closer to yeah. people, especially in like a big church setting, to have the intimate yeah. relationships yep. that are hard to build on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I can I share a little bit about the pulpit? I have one more. Okay. Okay. Uh, the preacher invites the conversation to continue with themselves, even welcoming any disagreements or varying views. Have you asked any questions lately? And I think we already talked about that. Yeah. already so i just wanted to which shout out to our pastor he does this every sunday at the end of his sermons yeah he says like if you've never met me or if you already know me but you you want to chat you want to ask any questions find me i'll be here yeah and like and i love hearing that because you do you see people going up and having i mean we've done it lots of people yeah it was funny there was one sunday the weather was gorgeous and everybody stayed inside to chat with each other and then like the an next hour. for like an hour, and then the next Sunday it was rainy and everybody left. We like, turned around you and we're like, we're be... the last ones out. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you want to be indoors when it when it's raining? Yeah, yeah just funny. Yeah. Um. So I decided I wanted to look into the pulpit a little bit more, mainly because we were talking about how you don't hear the pulpit 
in scripture. I mean, technically, because a lot of times they are in this elevated, you think of the person who's in the pulpit is in an elevated position. Yeah. And the only way, honestly, that they're really elevated is that they are, <laughs> um, they're an authority. But I think what's a lot of times forgotten is that an authority is going to be held very accountable for what they teach and preach. And yeah. um, instead it becomes this, this authority of you can't, you can't touch me. I'm up a little bit higher instead of I have this authority to rightly communicate the word of God to people. So the pulpit, the earliest um, case that you hear about it was in around AD 250. And the situation was somebody who was being persecuted for having preached the gospel was brought in and the people actually elevated him to like an actual pulpit. So when you think of maybe Catholic churches or other churches where the pulpit's like, you know, up really high, it's that kind of thing so that he... So so when you say elevated, like physical It's a proximity. physical elevation. Yeah, instead so that, of yeah. a, a yeah. So hierarchical that he, and it was It was mainly for people to be able to hear him speaking the word of God. Right. Because obviously, you know, if you're in a huge crowd, I mean, like when you think of where Jesus went a couple of times, you know, like to a top of a mountain or to a boat, like somewhere where the, the masses could actually hear and see him because if you're yeah. down in the middle of a pit of people trying to yell out a message they're probably not going to hear you yeah the last time he was in a house they dug a hole out so <laughs> so it kind of comes down to like that that's why i wanted to look into it because my thoughts were the the purpose of the pulpit is to rightly communicate the word of god the pulpit itself does not equate to having some form of hierarchy or authority that makes you above people in an untouchable way it, it might make you above people as in you have been burdened um maybe people won't like that word but i feel like it can be a burden to carry the responsibility of rightly teaching and the bible you know does talk about how not many of you should become teachers because <laughs> we are going to hold you to a higher standard yeah. for what you say and do. Right. In Second uh, Timothy three sixteen, we all, a lot of people know this one. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And most of the time, uh, verse seventeen is read, but usually the focus is always on sixteen. And I'm going to say maybe half the time or so it's used because you have to do it to somebody else <laughs> you know you have to be the one uh to teach or rebuke or correct someone and train them in righteousness because you are the one that is so very righteous and uh we completely forget everything that uh happens before this verse starting way back in chapter three this is second timothy chapter three verse ten uh, Paul writes to Timothy telling him, hey, you, you know how I live. You know, you, you know my faith and all the sufferings that I've had in all these different areas and how uh, Christ still uh, rescued him from all these things. And then in verse 12, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All right, so keep that in the back of your mind. We're all going to be persecuted if we try to live a godly life 
in Christ Jesus. All right. While in the meanwhile, okay, verse 13, while evil evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. All right. So if you think the persecution is bad, it's going to get worse because there are these people, these evil doers, 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 I can't talk. Um, these evildoers and imposters, all right, imposters are going to do things to bring more persecution. All right. Now, key thing about imposters, who do you think, where do you think these imposters are, are infiltrating? The church, the church. The church. All right. And then verse uh, 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it going back to the beginning of this of this paragraph and back in verse 10 hey remember how i lived remember my faith you remember i was persecuted you remember all the things that i taught you all right that's what he's he's referring back to uh and who you learned it from okay in verse 15 and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And I also forgot uh, Timothy's relatives. What, what was his mother or a grandmother also taught him? Yeah, I don't so remember. I, I can't remember what relative it was, but it wasn't just Paul. Um, so <laughs> Sorry. And uh, from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture... Now... Take note, when did the Bible actually get compiled? It wasn't during this writing of this letter because it wasn't written yet to be compiled into a Bible, okay? So all scripture referring to uh, the Torah, the, the Mishnah, the, uh, like all these different writings uh, of the Old Testament that we understand as the Old Testament and perhaps even other ones, uh, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? Verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, so this God-breathed word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, not so you can get on somebody for how horrible of a person that they are and how unrighteous they are, and they have to get righteous. It is so that they are equipped for every good work. All right. Now there is a place to correct someone and rebuke them and, and saying, Hey, you know what? I need to save you from further sin. The last verses of James says that Whoever turns a person from the error of their way will save them from a whole heap of stuff. Okay? So what it comes down to is when we are using the word of God in a pulpit, it is to equip everyone for every good work. They may feel like they are being taught. They may feel like they're being rebuked or corrected or being trained in righteousness. All the more reason why we need to know scripture so well to recognize that that's not the preacher doing that, that it's the Holy Spirit doing it. The preacher should not have to say 
this is from the Holy Spirit. And that's why you feel that way. Because if they say that, that's probably a situation like we had. Yeah. Whereas, it, you know, this came from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I, I finished my sermon uh, at a later day because, it, you know, this was coming up. You got to trust me in doing all this and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The conviction is you don't have to even announce it. Yeah. All right, and then we had another verse. <laughs> another reason why we need to know Scripture really well. Okay. If, especially coming from. Uh, in light of a bully pulpit, uh, in verse, uh, in Second Peter chapter three verse sixteen, uh, Peter writes. He writes the same way in all his letters, and he's speaking about Paul because Paul's letters are really hard to understand. And he's like, "Hey guys, heads up!" He writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them these matters. His letters contain uh, some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. All right. So even, you know, this problem has been around for quite a while. People I, are going to. I just to... love that Peter was like, which ignorant people. <laughs> which like, ignorant. <laughs> if we said that nowadays, it'd be like, oh, how dare yeah. you call somebody ignorant? Yeah, that's not all. You can't. Yeah. Um, and, and really, it, that's uh, apex and legomena. That's the only use of that word. Hmm. Uh, unlearned, in, uninstructed, or rude. So it's like, well, you can only hear part of something, uh, a.k.a. going back to like proof texting, uh, taking little pieces of scripture here and there to get your point across. Uh, but if that's the thing. If, if Peter is even saying that some of the stuff Paul is saying is really difficult to understand, and so, for, so f- to the point where people are distorting them to their own destruction, uh, we need to be even more aware of that kind of stuff especially in light of the bully pulpit, especially in light of spiritual abuse. All right. My, uh, my hope in all of these different episodes on spiritual abuse and uh, maybe weeks from now, who knows, we'll have, we'll have another part six or something. Uh, We'll, we'll probably continue this conversation because it's too big of a conversation to just stop it with these five episodes. Uh, But my hope is, is that, you don't give up, that you don't give in, that you continue to uh, explore and venture through scripture uh, to be bold enough to still go to church and ask tough questions. All right. It's not that you're not the crazy one. Okay. I don't know. Maybe you are. I, (laughs) I can't say for sure, you know, um, I might be a little crazy myself, but this is my point. If there's some gaslighting because you are asking questions, hey, ask them, ask somebody else then. Go ask someone, somebody else. Go somewhere else where someone will hear you because this is too real of a thing. It's too painful of a thing to just let this drop. All right. It's hard to be abused. It's even harder to heal without Christ. And our, our hope is that whether or not you've experienced spiritual abuse, that it is Christ that is guiding you and leading you towards that healing and restoration and, uh, and that spirit-empowered life that you can so boldly go and learn Scripture beyond what any spiritual abuser could ever know.
Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. That was not scripted. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's the the meat of yeah the topic, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was that part was unscripted uh, because I have a closing for this one. Okay. But that was a, that was a good closing. If we want to close it there. No, go ahead and ask yeah. the question. Do Do you get before we go there? Do we have anything else from you guys? Are we doing the separate section for takeaways? We could do the takeaways now. Oh. I was going to think. Uh, you were going to think? Because I've been so quiet. Think. So I've been trying <laughs> to really think away. I've You've been was, very quiet. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I was dozing off. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, we would love to hear people's stories or questions. Um, I also think, or, I mean, if you want some good material, obviously we know the Bible is, you know, our number one authority. Um but if you're interested in any of the kinds of resources that we dug yeah. into about yeah. it. They're in the info on the podcast episodes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's good stuff. And if if you're kind of in a place, because where we were at one time was, you know, being told you can't talk about it, but then we didn't know what to do with it. And that's that can get you even more messed up. Um, at least find a counselor. Um, because that is somebody who obviously is, is a safe person to talk to who can also maybe give you some clarity and guidance in your next steps. Um, I think that would be my big, biggest encouragement. Like if you yeah. don't feel there's anywhere you can go, that's a good starting spot. Yeah. I agree. Take away. I'm, oh, I'm nervous cause I thought of something, but I'm really nervous. <laughs> I would just say it. I was just going to say, church hurt is such a real thing, and it really disgusts me how real it is. <laughs> like, no, like, genuinely, it's disgusting. She's people so are, passionate. Or people are doing this. Like, yeah. it's affecting people's and relationship what, with God. I, like, I think the more gross thing about it is that most people don't know. No, they don't. Yeah. And that's what's so disturbing. Because they, like, get, they get so into the position. They get so into uh, the one that has the knowledge and stuff. And it's just so disturbing that they're able to manipulate and gaslight and do all of this stuff to people. Oh my, it's so gross. So like, if you're, if you even have a question about whether someone is mistreating you, go look it up and then call me. (laughs) Yeah. And her number is, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. I think people all together will tell you church hurt happens to everybody, but like, there's like that, and I'm not going to minimize your everyday church hurt, but there's the church hurt that's like that doesn't do extensive damage to you. You know what I mean? Like there's the, I don't really get along with this person. They said some things that I don't like, or maybe this church did something, but not to the level that keeps you so trapped that you're you, paranoid. You, and that, yeah, yeah. That you can't really move on in a healthy manner. Am I doing wrong? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's the part that more people don't realize. Cause I've heard the platitude of, well, Nobody's perfect. Everybody has church hurt. Just move on and get over it. Okay. <laughs> That's yeah. not how that works. You can't get over a trauma just like that. Like, it's not a thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. it creates an actual imprint on you that takes how long to yeah. mo- move from. Because this yeah. is something that's so deep because it's your relationship with God. Yep. Yep. And the church body. Mm-hmm. If it keeps you from engaging in a church body, it's also not good. All right, so the last thing in closing, uh, we need to ask this hardest question. 
uh, one in which takes bracing ourselves for a hurricane. It's one of these. I didn't say the question yet, uh, but it's a really hard one. Uh, we have to be willing to answer it truthfully and as difficult as it may be with as much grace, hope, and love that we can muster. All right. And the toughest question ever needing asked. Answer. How? Huh? Is that answered? And, <laughs> and the question is, how do you experience me? Because that's a question you got to brace yourself for. Because if you really want the, the tough truth that comes with that question, you, you got to brace yourself. If you don't want that, if you don't think you can handle it, don't ask it. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, and what I mean by how do you experience me is how I'm treating you, how I'm coming across as, because a lot of the times when spiritual abuse happens, uh, when the bully pulpit is about, is, is at its pinnacle, <laughs> it's one of those things where they may not even know that this is affecting them. And as a pastor, they should probably know that. Uh, so whether you're a pastor or a lay person, you know, you're just attending a church, ask those questions. Yeah. Well, that question, how do you experience me? Because just because you say, I love you, or just because you say, I forgive you does not translate as the same thing as how someone experiences you. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say to add to that, and like you said, it really should be a question we ask in all areas. I mean, like even as parents, we need to be willing to hear if our kid says, Hey, you really hurt me the way you handled that. And, but what needs to be done is when we are ready to be challenged by the answers from that, we need to be willing to accept it without defending. Yeah. Because it too quickly becomes, well, I didn't mean it that way. And you're being too sensitive or I'm sorry you feel that way. Like there needs to be responsibility taken to, to realize maybe you don't, don't, mean it that way like so as an authority figure maybe you don't realize you're doing it but we be willing to realize that is how other people have taken it and maybe at some point you can respond but in the moment's not the time to say well i didn't mean it that way and that's just you and you shouldn't feel that way so there's a bunch of levels to that question don't think that you're this bold, brave person to go, I'm ready to take it and then lash out at the people for what they say to you. Yeah. And when you ask the question, don't ask your best buddy that you know is going to be like, oh, dude, you're like the funnest person ever. You would Unless never your best buddy's Daniel, then you yeah. can ask. <laughs> you need to ask someone that you know is going to tell you. Is that because I would tell you the truth? (laughs) I have always said that I will not make stupid decisions because I don't want to have to tell Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) I think I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Now, if you do know it's somebody who, I I mean. Yeah, don't ask that person. Yeah. Yeah. I think, though, like like in a spouse situation, like. Uh, in some ways, a spouse is probably going to be like the most truthful, and they're the one yeah. that you live with. Yeah, maybe. Well, all the time. I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering when you ask the question to yeah. give them the time to figure out an answer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, don't. It doesn't have to be like on the spot. Yeah. You might yeah. want to wait, and you know, you don't want to ask them whenever they're fuming mad at you because every issue you've ever done to them <laughs> is going to come out at that moment. <laughs> or hey, maybe that's like the most truthful. Part. Yeah. <laughs> you know, See, know. but here's the other thing 
that could be part of this in any relationship, but I'm going to use the example of using it in marriage. At the times that I've been most mad at you and that every bad thought possible could go through my mind, I don't speak them because, and I'm very intentional about it, because I've realized there's an emotional response and there's an ungodly response going in me and the things that I want to say are like, okay, maybe like something was true, but my feeling about it isn't a true good response or healthy response and that I know it's not how it is all the time, but because my emotions are so heightened and I've been, I really do. Like, it's something I think about every time I am mad. Like, this is not how it actually is. It's how I'm perceiving it because I'm tired, I'm angry, I'm, you know, fill in the blank. So I feel like that's something that's smart to do in everything. But like, I'm very intentional with you about it because you're my husband and I don't intention, I don't want to cause you something that's going to hurt you or make you mad. Like there are certain things you do need to know. But like these are always just like these are always just the everything. And she that, tells me. Yeah. But like these are more like the every little thing that's ever happened between us in our entire marriage comes to my mind, and I want to get angry and I want to spill it all out at you, and I like. But I I can rationally tell myself. But why, you know? And so I'm not going to yeah. because guess what? I'm gonna wake up tomorrow, and it's gonna be okay. <laughs> You know, and they're, they're not things that definitely need to be brought into the light to be dealt with. They're things that just, because I'm so angry, everything that I could possibly be angry yeah. about wants to come out. And not any time, I think, in history that I can recall, that I know of, of history anyway, <laughs> um, that emotions and truth align. At least not initially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, no, I can't think of one. <laughs> but I, I just, I think that like, that's probably my biggest encouragement with that is like, we live in this world that tells you like, whatever you feel, whatever, whatever you want to be, say and do is okay because it's the true you, whatever, you know, I don't know. It's your deepest, truest self. So I'm going to express everything I want to like when in the history of anything, was it ever good for everybody to just word vomit all over everybody? <laughs> uh, when Facebook and other social media platforms yeah. came about. Yeah. But it just becomes this, I'm going to speak whatever I feel in the moment. And that all, unless the, unless it's like, hey, I just wanted to let you know, you look really pretty today. Or, you know, whatever you That's just said like was really nice. That's like the best way to stop an argument. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Because like, you do that to me all the time. That you're really pretty uh, today? Yeah, you call me pretty. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> that you give me compliments. Oh, like yeah. when you do something that I'd be like, wait, what? And then you're like, all cute and such. And, and I'm like. <sighs> yeah. But that's so just when, you know, when you're thinking of these things, don't, don't react on your emotions you know, try to get those under, I'm not saying you can't have emotions. Emotions are real. Emotions to point, point to something. Yeah. But you can't unspeak words that you've spoken and somebody could forgive you for them. But I remember verbatim so many things that have been said to me, either in marriage, from a parent, from a best friend that I wish I would just forget because I know that that doesn't hold truth or value anymore, but they still haunt me. Yeah. Because they were spoken, and maybe they shouldn't have been. Yeah. So be very intentional with your your words. 
So how do you experience me? Ask the, the tough questions to the right people at the right time. You mean you don't want to go out with a microphone down the road? How do you experience me today? <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> right now I'm a little creeped out by you and your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else before we close up? All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Hashtag One Fear podcast. And uh, this concludes part five of our series on spiritual abuse and church hurt. And hopefully down the road, we'll, we'll do another one because we're going to we'll probably bring it up again. Uh, but in the meanwhile, uh, look forward to some other episodes coming out on different topics. We're not sure of what they are yet, <laughs> but uh, they're coming. And uh, search us on social media. Email us at contact uh, at onefear.net. Our website is onefear.net. And hit those likes. Give us a thumbs up and do the do the five star thing. What? Hit the likes? Hit listen. those likes? Listen, little tyke. Oh my gosh, that listen. was disgraceful. Listen, little tyke. Oh, don't even. Okay, click on the likes. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> I'm so appalling to you, aren't I? Really? Yeah, now I'm speaking on my emotions, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look for us out there and... Tell us your stories if you have any. And per the usual, live, live such, such good, good lives. lives.